Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy, and it is time to continue our series of covering the big three coaching trees. We've done Tony Nadal. If you didn't watch that one, go back, check it out in the archives on the YouTube homepage uh, or the channel homepage uh, because that was a really, really enjoyable show, and we can't wait to dive into Novak. Uh, But we're also going to talk about some other topics that have to do with coaching. But I must start with a shout out to my girlfriend, Jenna, because it is our three year anniversary today. (laughs) So I could not not throw that in. (laughs) Congrats, Gil. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So so last night um, there was a bit of a controversy, and I I don't think we can ignore it if we're going to talk about coaching here because it's been such a common topic which is on-court coaching, and Fanini was complaining about Apostolo Tsitsipas. He said, I'm playing two-on-one here. The umpire, for fairness to Stefanos, said, I, I think it's just encouragement. I-, I can't tell that it's coaching. Really, how could the umpire tell if he can't hear what's being said? Um, but also, Fabio wasn't complaining until, uh, until he was losing, uh, which is always eyebrow-raising. <laughs> so, look, there's a lot of things here, but the the net net is this has been a constant discussion point here in 2021. Amy, where do you land on this and in, in the on-court coaching rule? I believe that we need to the sport needs to evolve and we need to throw the open the floodgates. Um, if you look at other sports, other sports have evolved over the years. You know, the baseball purists will not tell you about the time there were, I don't know, 11 outs in baseball or something. Um, Sports change over time and get with the times. And there's no way to enforce the coaching rule. Coaching is going to happen. Hand signals, you know, words of encouragement mean something else. So um, why, you know, try to break your back or unevenly police it? And um, I just think that coaches are a big part of the sport. And I feel that coaching in general in tennis does not get its due. So I think it's time to more formally and officially bring coaching into the match court. I think that's very, very interesting. And um, I'm of multiple minds of it. Um, I don't call myself a tennis purist, but I do think that when people say to me, well, all the other sports, I said, well, good. How about tennis have something that the other sports don't have, which is no coaching. However, I stumbled on the enforcement piece. It, I mean, a former top 10 player made it very simple for me. He said, hey, my coach would say, let's go. That man hit to the forehand. Let's go, let's go, and hit to the backhand. And when it's something as simple as that, and you think about enforcement, and, and Amy, you pointed out so wisely, unfair enforcement. So what are we going to do here? So, okay. So in that sense, just like um, you're going to de- you're going to deregulate it and make it legal, then let's really do something to make it legal, and let's make sure these coaches are accountable. And like coaches in other sports, they always do press conferences, and we get to know them, and we hear about their philosophy, and they don't just hide behind a veil 
of privacy with their player and they have the names on their backs at tournaments so we know who they are. I mean, okay, if they're going to be coaches, let them be coaches. Let's find out exactly who they are and, and have each tour do full bios of them and let's learn their philosophies and let's dig in just like we do in the NFL and the NBA and Major League Baseball, the American sports, soccer, other coaches. Let's, let's yep. hear it all. Yep. Or, or um, like in, in racing, you have a, a chief, right? The, the head of the team. Everyone knows the CEO. If you're a, a Formula One fan, everyone knows who's in charge of Mercedes and who's in charge of Ferrari. And they are part of that narrative. So commercially, I agree with you guys that there's an opportunity to bring coaches <laughs> in. But I've never been uh, a proponent of removing the on-court coaching rule because I've always looked at it more like a speed limit than a, a, a no murder allowed, right? We don't accept murder in society. That is against the law. There is no acceptance of it. But speeding, we accept it just a little bit. Uh, we accept that the rule is there, the rule will be broken, but as long as it's not broken too badly, right? So I've always looked at the on-court coaching as a, a speed limit. There's gonna be some third base coaching, a little bit of signage happening, but as long as there's not a blatant dialogue going on, which I don't think there is most of the time, that is the purpose of the rule. And I like that. I think it's valuable. Tell that to Fabio Fognini. <laughs> he, he thinks there's a constant dialogue going on. <laughs> but and anybody who plays Tsitsipas, but that, that may or may not be true. Um, it's just to me, it's just patently unfair when. A player like Serena Williams, who really does not have a history of receiving a lot of coaching, her coach makes a signal. He happens to be very high profile and was he did it in a very ham handed way, whether she asked for that or not. And um, and she paid the ultimate price. I mean, it, it was uh, really unfair when you think about what goes on and um i just do not like the fat unfairness unfairness drives me crazy i, I like that i i one story coach once told me he made a note card with the player of signals before the match that he was going to give and there were like eight or ten signals who even knows how many there's like baseball with the hands and this gets the match oh no left the card in the hotel room Ooh. So he didn't know what to do and he forgotten what they all were. So he just had to sit on his hands the whole match. Oh no. Did, did, did the player win the match or? I don't or remember. No. That's a great question. But yeah, it's funny. Um, philosophically and developmentally, for example, like I, I believe as a player, I, I like that I've played a sport my whole life where I haven't had that kind of coaching. In fact, I remember another former number one player said to me, coaching tennis you play tennis so you don't have someone telling you what to do. Yep. I mean, it's different than the team sports. It's not the team sports. Everybody's reporting to the coach all the time. In tennis, coach is often really an instructor who is paid for by the family. The coach is an employee. And part of me likes that. Part of me likes that the tennis player is, is the quarterback, the, uh, every position in charge of things. And that's kind of neat. However, look, people are having coaching when they're not playing matches. And so let's, I, I'm a little bit leaning towards the floodgates thing. I hate to say that because I, I so like the culture of the game and having to figure things out yourself, but it might also make for better matches. 
Right? Well, look, look, Joel and Gil, if we throw the floodgates open, you do not have to avail yourself of that coaching. You can go on doing exactly what you were doing, which is figuring it out yourself. Nobody says you have to. I don't know how many players would take to that, given just the insecurities of uh, is any is someone else getting an advantage here. Um, but I don't know. Ask Roger know. Federer. What would Roger Federer do? If, if the tomorrow they throw open the coaching, you know, floodgates, what would Roger do? No, Roger wouldn't want that. He would, no, he'd want to, he'd want to have a stretching break. That's what he'd want to have. He'd want to have <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Up there. You know, Real- come there and help him. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's move on to Novak Djokovic on the topic of coaching. And for Novak, I think it's very important to start with the person who he started with, Yelena Jencic. She is the the woman who uh, discovered Novak in Serbia. She told his parents that he was a golden boy. Uh, she, she says the first thing that she noticed was Novak's listening skills. And that is why she felt so strongly that she wanted to take him under her wing. Also coached Monica Seles and Goran Ivanisevic. This is a very important figure in Novak's lifeline. And you just don't know for sure that Novak would have ever become the thing that he's become without Yelena Jencic, Joel. Well, I think with him and her, it, it gets the, foundational coach the fundamental coach and you can just picture i mean i can almost imagine in like a, a tv movie format of the young novak he was very organized there's stories about him bringing his racket and his lunch to the lesson and being of our three of our three novak strikes me as the most studious i think nadal has a they're all studious but nadal has a loyalty that's based on family roger was based on a personal desire to avail himself of much wisdom. Having read the Federer biography, you see many people giving input and different people. And Novak, I think, has this kind of laser focus. And you could just see him paying attention to her as she hand-fed him balls. You know, no, turn, no, turn, no, not too much. Turn this way. You know, you could just see him building, building those strokes kind of toothpick by toothpick. And 
and really paying attention and hanging on her every word and doing these drills and doing some very exacting things. I mean, more than Federer and, uh, and Rafa, I think of Novak as being that much more what fastidious. And kids don't focus like that. I've coached kids before. That is their problem. They cannot pay attention and focus on the task at hand. So when, when Jencic always said that that's what was, what stood out about Novak, I've just found that kind of awesome because, you know, that's an example of you have it or you don't. And in this case, Novak had it. Amy, do you remember your first coach? Um, actually the, my first coach that I would describe as, as a coach would be my father. And my dad used to take me out and play tennis with me and he was self-taught. So, and he also taught himself golf and would go out and win tournaments. <laughs> so, um, I, I'm one, I'm probably one of those people like so many players on tours tour that, um, have a, a relationship with a parent that, um, later became your coach, but, um, uh, that just talking, listening to you guys talking about Jencic, I should really go and read everything she's written because Novak reminds me a little bit in personality type of my son, who is very um, creature of habit, packs his own lunch, forthright, earnest, um, except his thing is not tennis. It's like geography or, or things like that, you know, academic pursuits. But um, she had a way of fostering that type of, of personality. And um, I was reading a little bit about her and reading that she had a big belief in visualization. You visualize what you want to achieve and you practice that and then you go out and achieve it. And if you think about the person that Djokovic is today, we should all probably go back and, and read her coaching philosophies. Well, I think it gets to kind of what we seek from players. I, I look at people like that as instructors. I mean, for example, and like I, I remember I was at a uh, teaching of it a few years ago and a bunch of guys were calling themselves coaches. I said, really? How many of you watch your students play a match? And to me, it's instruction. And I think of her, I, 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 don't, even, I don't know, I suspect she watched Novak play, but the, the real neat thing of this, this emphasis on these fundamentals, that's what's so impressive about Novak. I mean, I yeah. think her, the visualization revolved around techniques and, and body awareness and his exquisite body awareness that was developed at a very, very young age. And you see that in those, um, how would you put it, the longevity players like him, Chris Everett, Jimmy Connors, I mean, you just see that repetition and that discipline that's baked in at a young age that Novak, for reasons we can't begin to fathom when he was five, six years old, listening skills means attention skills. He's paying, he's paying attention, hanging on her word and willing to put in the time and felt fine hitting five, 10, 15, 20, 30 balls off of feeds to get the technique right. Because that's what, and I think there's a, there's a segue players make from having an instructor to then a coach, yep. different kinds of things that you, um, that, that one does. So, and, and that segues maybe into what they need from that person when they become better players, when they become pros. I mean, I suspect, I don't, I don't suspect, for example, Novak to get to our later subject, um, 
hired Boris Becker to help him refine a technique. Or maybe he did actually a little bit maybe with the yeah stuff. i i i actually have seen a video of novak on court with um stepanik who he had in his camp for a while radic stepanik and they were working on technique so i think i i agree with what you're saying about instructor versus coach but um i think there's a crossover Absolutely. and and Absolutely. you know sometimes you need some instruction out of your coach and maybe sometimes you need some coaching out of your instructor that's a great way to articulate no look i think once a guy like stepanek who's watching him play matches then they're bringing things i just think there's some i don't know it's a really interesting it's a really interesting evolution of language and what people get from these different kind of experts coaches instructors Etc. And then when you're getting to the world class level, I mean, remember, let's keep in mind by the time a guy like Novak is 11, he's better than 98% of the people who ever pick up a tennis racket. He's already the 5 0 champ at the club. I mean, that's what people <laughs> you get. You get. I, I know this from even my experience playing uh, Mackenzie McDonald when he was 11. I mean, that they just, they're on a whole other path of awareness and skill that opens them to a whole other set of things. It's just, it's fascinating. It's interesting. It'll be interesting when we talk about Roger, his development too. Well, here's a quote from Novak. He says, pretty much what I know on court, I owe her. She's the one who developed my game. Whatever she told me, I did. And she kept telling me I had the talent to be the number one player. And I believed her and I still believe her. So instill, instilling confidence in Novak was a big deal. And, and to Joel's point, when you start off, you don't know anything. I remember my first coach, his thing was grips. He did not let me use the wrong grip for any shot. He let none of his players do that. And it did. I was very, I was very young. I was not good, but damn it. You're going to get your grip, right? Um, and I, you know, those little things are so, are so valuable. And it's such an important part of a tennis player's life. Jenchich clearly nailed that for Novak. Uh, I want to, give one more nugget that I found so interesting um, about Jenchich, which is um, she was a stabilizing force during the scariest time of Novak's life in a scary time for Serbia uh, because of the bombings. And Jenchich would choose practice locations based on safety, which meant going to recently bombed areas because Jenchich figured if it was recently bombed, they wouldn't bomb it again. Wow. Now, now think yeah. about though the connection between teacher, student, and I don't know if those were if those were just private lessons or even if there were other players there too. It doesn't matter. But think about the the bonding connection that goes on in those kind of circumstances. I mean, it's that's a little different. That's a little different than going to the the backcourts at the club for the Tuesday afternoon group thing, and then you have your you know your Cliff Bar after the hour of ball feeding. I mean, so the the urgency around that for young Novak. Right. We're yeah, this this court was bombed yesterday. So there's a good chance it won't be bombed today. I mean, that's just that's just beyond the realm of where most people live. So Novak's probably joy in saying, wow, this is very special. How fortunate I am to be alive today and to take tennis lessons now. So his his connection to her, and that's what I think the teachers, coach, whatever it is, and student build, they build a language together. They build a language together. It's not just the teacher passing on data to the student. It's it's them building a language. It's physical, it's emotional, and and then they 
create some things together. And again, with Novak at such a young age, hitting so many balls. And then she, uh, she also makes the connection to Nikki Pilich, where Novak goes to work at that academy. Nikki Pilich, a former uh, you know, US Open doubles champion and a French Open finalist, great player. And that continues, accelerates even more. I mean, it's happening so, it happens so fast for those players at that age. That's massive that she sent him to Pillich, in my opinion, established German coach with a lot of top juniors that Novak could train with, because that just shows it wasn't about her ego. And I think that's so important for a coach. You need to know when your time's up. Pillich originally from uh, Yugoslavia. Okay. That's why that they had, the, that was the, uh, the connection of sorts. And then he set up the Academy in Germany um, and, and he worked with Novak and that became even more finishing school even more finishing school. You could just see the, the layers of uh, building of Han Novak skills more. And I think more so again, to, to just juxtapose him with other two in a different way than Rafa, who is very much in the family environment and competing and getting these life lessons from uncle Tony, Roger, the Swiss system of different coaches in different places. And Roger's kind of a eclectic, you know, Novak had a very disciplined kind of, kind of training. Federer would get bored if, if it wasn't eclectic enough. That was his, right. his personality. Exactly. Um, okay. Uh, Marion Vida has coached Novak for 20 years now, has been the ever-present force throughout his professional career. Amy, what do you find interesting about Marion Vida? I think he does perhaps the hardest job of all and and a job that is underappreciated and what it is is it reminds me of like uh, an executive producer on a big budget hollywood film where you have to bring together all these egos and <laughs> make it work and and create harmony and and create something that's art or wonderful um and so he's marion is dealing with the agent he's dealing with um the uh, the super coach he's dealing with the physio and he's the guy that novak really leans on and trusts to um to be the stabilizing force so I, I think, um, I don't, I would love to look at this and I should look at this, but I think that my perception is that possibly Novak plays better when Marion's around. Well, there's that short period where he wasn't, right? And he, yeah. right. and what I like about that, I like that executive producer role because in a way it's kind of seamless. We've hardly, he's rarely interviewed. You haven't heard a lot of his, ideas and that doesn't matter you're right he had he's sort of orchestrating working i mean i was watching this atp uh tour uncovered piece from 09 and novak referred to him as a second father in 2009 and obviously things have continued and then headed into the rich rich period of novak's career these last 10 12 years and uh but they uh i think it's really special what they have and some of it again is is beyond language and he yeah right he has to work with the these super coaches come in, whether it's Becker or Agassi or Gorn, and how do you how do you manage that and let that let that super coach, the special consultant, play their role? I mean, as if that consultant was as if uh, Gorn is the director. Yeah, we got Martin Scorsese to direct the movie. He's gonna he's gonna make the movie happen. But I'm still the producer, and we're we've got the schedule, and there's all these things. It's uh, 
it's yeah, it's a very interesting thing. And and the fact I like I like that I don't know that much about him. That makes me appreciate him even more because it's lasted so long and obviously been so successful. And he brings something really, really special to the mix that most of all lets Novak flourish. That he knows he's not the one, he, he's not waxing about all these things and all these ideas. I, I, I admire that. And again, it shows you that the, um, it's funny, in this sport, coaching is so new that many coaches play many different roles. You know, some coach, I mean, I remember um, uh, some coaches, they become almost like the spokesperson on behalf of the player. They become like the, and then uh, and other coaches, they become the spokesperson on behalf of themselves, et cetera. So I, I, I think he's fascinating because I don't know much about him. Yeah, I, I look, there's not that much out there about him. I have way more interesting things or I had way more interesting things about Jencic because she's talked about uh, these experiences with Novak. Vida has been very private. And I do think that Novak has has looked to that as an example because I think Novak is also uh, very private. But Vida from 2006 to now has remained Novak's CEO, I will call him. And I, I love that executive producer point, Amy. He's been a part of all 20 majors that Djokovic has won. That is the most successful um, coach-player relationship in the history of men's tennis. But let's go to the super coach that uh, changed things for Novak, and that's Boris Becker, uh, because Djokovic was not the clutch player that we know him to be now before Boris Becker. He had a record in major finals of six wins and seven losses, which isn't terrible at all, but you can mark Boris Becker's arrival as the point in Djokovic's career where he became very, very efficient in these major finals and really started to amass uh, the, the titles that now have brought him to 20. Why do you think that happened, Joel? What was it about Boris? You know, when that was announced at first, I was among the many, and so were others. Um, we thought, huh, Boris Becker, that's interesting. How is, is that interesting? Becker, you know, firstly, the style model was different because of how they each played, but that's not fair because coaching is an autobiography. And I think Becker's big thing was the big moment. Becker's big thing was fifth sets and closing time and how you get it done in those occasions. And I think it appeared to be that's what he was able to arm Novak with. This is how you navigate. This is how you manage the court and the opponent and the situation and your game and know what to do so that you're in these late stages of fourth and fifth sets, you've crossed the finish line. Because yeah, Novak had been as successful as he'd been in the first half of the tens, wasn't quite as successful as he'd hoped losing some finals. So I think that was the thing. Also, um, oh, I saw sometimes a little work on the slice backhand, maybe a little sense of court awareness. You know, maybe, you know, Becker was a, Becker, um, Becker could, was an opportunist, the way he built points. So I think that he, maybe he taught Novak how to, how to be, take advantage of things a little bit more, move it a little forward movement. And just as the margins are so thin at that level that that may have made a difference. And, but again, what's sad about this is that I think that might've been it. So now per, let's say, Amy talking about opening the floodgates, all right, coaches, you gotta talk. We gotta know, you can't just 
you know, hide behind a veil. You got to come out and you, we got to know what you're, what's going on there. Let's have coaches meetings, all of it. I want to know if we're going to have coaching, let's have coaching. Novak is a tennis historian. He knows so much about the sport. And I just think he thought it was helpful and beneficial to his confidence and his mindset just to see Boris in his box. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think Boris needs to say anything or do anything. All he needs to do is sit there <laughs> and pump his fist. And I think that helped Novak. And I, mean, I think saw... there's way more to it, but I think. No, no, I'm not. I'm not saying Boris didn't do anything, but I'm saying can't the presence of a coach yeah. of a historically incredible figure, uh, can't that help? Especially, well, I mean, look, uh, Boris was Mr. Wimbledon, right? Look at how much success Novak immediately started having at Wimbledon as soon as Boris came on. 2014, uh, Wimbledon was his first major with Becker. And from there on, Novak's been dynamite at Wimbledon. Uh, I just think it helped to see Boris in that chair. I agree. I mean, hey, no different than it would be if, uh, let's say, sitting 10 feet from you, Gil, was the American broadcaster, Joe Buck, watching you do your show. Absolutely. <laughs> and, but, but I think it, it, it's, it's, it's more than that. It's more than just the presence. I think, I think when I saw from Becker and Novak, based particularly on how Novak is, because Novak wants to learn things. He wants to be cognitive and study things. And I suspect in Monte Carlo and other weeks, they worked on things. And the wisdom, the wisdom these players have, which they don't often share in interviews, there aren't enough situations for this, is pretty extensive, the things they know. I once talked to a friend and I bumped into Martina Hingis on an off day at Wimbledon and talked to her for an hour about her sense of the game and players. And it's people like the Hingis or Mats Vlander and Becker too. The things they know to the right audience are just remarkable about matches and psychology and, and technique too and tactics. It's at such a, a pretty high level of, of understanding. It's impressive. Okay, let's get to this portion of Novak's career where Marion Vida leaves. Um, and he leaves while a man named Pepe Imaz uh, joins Novak's camp. He was in Novak's camp starting at uh, Wimbledon 2016. And in 2017, Djokovic split with Vida and uh, Pepe remained. Radek Stepanek, aforementioned, and Andre Agassi were brought on during the Pepe era with poor results. Now, Pepe was known for preaching love and harmony and certain unconventional uh, mind training tactics. And uh, it was it was not a successful period for Novak. And then the, the end of this era is with Pepe leaving and Vida coming back. And it is widely thought of, and Vida hasn't said it explicitly, but he's hinted at it. And I think it's true. Vida didn't want to come back unless Pepe was out. Um, so what do we make of the mysterious and now infamous Pepe Imaz and the era that he reigned uh, in Novak's camp? Well, I, I think that your, your um, read on the situation may be a tiny bit of an oversimplification just because if you think about relationships um, through, over the course of your life, it may have been that Pepe Imaz was someone that Novak needed at that time to 
grow himself spiritually, but, you know, in terms of the actual tennis, it was Vida that was, you know, most needed, but that doesn't mean that the Imaz era was um, not of its use or that um, Novak didn't grow from that because he probably did. I I just, I was just throwing out the facts and I completely agree with that. Right. I mean, but on, on the tennis timeline, obviously he, he has, you know, taken some flack because his, the worst era of Novak's career directly aligns with his, but I think you're absolutely right, Amy. I I think things were, you know, happening off the court and Novak liked Pepe and clearly Pepe was, was helping him in some way. And, and you're right. He might've, he might've needed Pepe at that time in his life. Also the correlation, this reminds me sometimes I thought of like, uh, which president is responsible for an economy? The one who inherited the one the other guy left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> again, again, I want to, I want to, if to continue to look at coaching, I want to find more ways of getting at what it really means in tennis. And I want to avoid, I want to avoid just transferring the, the gestalt of other sports to the tennis gestalt. So I want to, I, I think as we continue to explore this topic with the three and overall, we can crack how it's so much different in tennis. It's not as monolithic as it is in these other sports where there are long-standing traditions and long-standing roles of the coach as the boss and all these other things. And so Pepe was a, what do you call it? An experimental interlude. And, and Novak, and Novak, we know this, we know this going back to Jensic, that, you know, that there was an aspect of, of mystical music and philosophy and the arts. And she exposed him to that too. I mean, she wasn't just about turn your shoulders, swing through the ball. I mean, she wanted him to be a rounded person. I remember he was reading a biography of Tesla at one point and, and thinking about things. So I thought he'd give this a go, which, which again, that's, that's how it can go in tennis. Because I also think when it comes to coaching, if let's, let's say in a team sport, the coach is 74% of the significance to the team. But in tennis, we don't always know how that works. It's like, I've thought this is Federer. I think the physio part is way more important to Roger Federer than the coaching part. The, you know, Paganini yeah. is to me. So, so the fulcrum of power is, 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 is different for each player. And I think at that stage, Novak might've been seeking something else. Maybe he was a little, um, you know, what, racket skilled out. And he wanted to kind of explore some other ideas. Yeah. Well, didn't this, I, I, didn't I did. this coincide with the elbow problem partially? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, and, and he's a naturalist and, and his wife is, um, you know, I think of them as I actually really look up to them in terms of the way they eat organic, um, you know, free range, all that good stuff. So I think he might've been wrestling with surgical intervention on the elbow and you know what what that meant for him as as opposed to his beliefs about natural healing so um yeah it it was uh it was a transitional time i did think it was interesting i i talked to a former player um who who was somewhat close to to novak's camp and and um they told me look tennis is kind of war and pepe was peace and love and it didn't quite work as a mentality when it comes to tennis. But again, 
holistically in life, it might've been exactly what Novak needed at that time. Uh, let's end with uh, Goran Ivanisevic, who uh, Marion Vida credits as the serve master. He's literally called him the master chef in that part of the kitchen. And it has been so important for uh, Novak, technically speaking, um, for him to improve that shot. He said, uh, the toss is lower. The biomechanics are different. Novak's quicker to get up to the serve. He's not waiting for the momentum so much. Uh, so his serve is more fluent and more energetic before hitting the ball. Uh, Goran is deserves massive credit for that. And, and Vida, by the way, in one of the rare interviews, we get a great nugget there. Well, that's great. So therefore, and therefore, and Goran understood the serve well, and that's maybe one of the roles of the, of, of the super coach and they understand each other and Goran has, has been there in the big, you know, in the big leagues, the, in the game, you know, it's so interesting. You think, you think sometimes it's just about the content and the ideas, but it really isn't particularly at that level. It is about, yeah, I want to know that the guy's been there and Goran has been in Wimbledon finals and won Wimbledon and played at the very, very highest levels. Um, again, remember against some great players who Novak looked up to most notably probably Pete Sampras mm-hmm. and as, as had Becker. So, that fits into it too. And, and some, some geographic affinity, uh, a lot of that, a lot of that is making that work pretty well at this point. I just love that Novak is, and, and I, I should have brought this quote because there's a great quote from Novak. That's pretty recent about how basically your game is never finished. You're always tinkering. You're always looking it's a never-ending journey looking to perfect different strokes and and different um, technical aspects of the game and I just love that at this late stage in his career he's still making um, adjustments to strokes and improving making such wholesale improvements that um, he's using this stuff to win slams I mean it's pretty inspirational in my opinion, it is the number one reason that the big three have had all the success that they've had and Novak right in the middle of that. Right now, Vida and Ivanisevic kind of alternate in terms of who's on site, but they are in constant communication, according to Vida. Um, but only the present coach, only the coach that is there is the one delivering the information to Novak as to just simplify it in his head one voice at a time. And uh, it has been... So far, an extremely successful relationship with Goran Ivanisevic, to say the least. That concludes this look at Novak's coaching tree. Remember, we did the same thing talking about Nadal, which meant mostly focusing on Tony Nadal. So check that out if you haven't. That'll do it for this episode of three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. Greatly appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple. And if you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of three. 